This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's not just about the food. In fact, the food, no matter how great it is, is probably the least important part of a family dinner. What is important is relaxing enough to enjoy a positive connection together. If there's like this kind of perfectionistic anxiety coming from the parents about, you know, everybody's behaving and what they're doing, would you want to come back to that table? I wouldn't. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am your host, Dr. Dan. And let me tell you a little bit about Parent Footprint and what we are about. Our mission at Parent Footprint is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents, for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. And in addition, we firmly believe that awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on your children. And today's show is fully aligned with this mission. Today's show is called Eat, Laugh, Talk, the family dinner playbook with our guest, Brie DeRosa. And let me tell you about Brie. Brie is the content manager for the Family Dinner Project and co-author of Eat, Laugh, Talk, the Family Dinner Playbook, which we are going to be talking about today. As a freelance writer and consultant to nonprofit organizations, she has spent over a decade working in communications, program development, and creative initiatives. Brie runs her own food blog called Red, Round, or Green, and has contributed to the Cooking with Trader Joe's Easy Lunch Boxes Cookbook, as well as the Cooking Light Dinnertime Survival Guide. She's also written for numerous outlets, including Motherwell Magazine, Yahoo Parenting, Handpicked Nation, Kids Nation Magazine, Real Mom Nutrition, and The Lunch Tray. Bree has the opportunity to practice her family dinner skills every day with her husband and two young sons. And a little bit about the Family Dinner Project. It's a nonprofit initiative started in 2010, which champions family dinner as an opportunity for family members to connect with each other through food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. And there is more than 20 years of scientific research which shows why family mealtimes are so important. And this project provides the how for today's busy families. Bree, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. And I, in thinking about our chat today, I was having all these flashbacks of the family dinner. So I just want to lead with just a little story because I know you can unpack this. So <laughs> family dinners was 
always a big thing in my family growing up. We had family dinners all, I remember, virtually all weeknights. It was just part of life. So when my wife and I had our family, which eventually included three young kids between you know zero to four at one point, my whole thing was, we are going to have family dinners just like when I grew up. And it was a nightmare because <laughs> they were little and screaming and throwing things and 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 it was like oh my gosh i'm we're never going to have a family dinner like when i grew up and however last night with our you know 19 17 and 15 year old we had a family dinner and we've been having family dinners for a long time so i one of the things that i'm hoping you could share with everyone is like the development of the dinner and the developmental stages and and how do we create this for our families Oh, I'm just, my heart is going out to you <laughs> because who hasn't been there? You know, right. part of the difficulty with uh, family dinners in the modern, you know, this day and age is that families do have this kind of nostalgic idea of, oh, the family dinner and we're going to sit down and everybody's going to be well behaved and it's going to be, you know, Norman Rockwell. And it's kids are not hardwired that way. No. And, you know, one of the most common challenges that parents share with us about family dinner, the reasons that they uh, tend not to come to the table as often as they might want to, is tension at the table. And that can happen at any age, but often with really little kids, it's tension because the adults are feeling really stressed out. They're feeling like they just can't cope with the screaming and the milk spilling. And, and then there's the picky eating. That's another huge challenge. <laughs> yes, yes. About. You know, the four-year-old isn't eating anything on their plate. The two-year-old is throwing what's on their plate. How do we survive this? And often people opt out. But what you have to do instead, I believe, is really lean into it and understand this is a moment in time and use some of the strategies that we suggest for families, um, things like having some dedicated games that you can play at the table to keep them engaged so they're less likely to throw stuff, or um, having some conversation starters so as they get older and they are three, four, five years old, you can ask them simple, engaging questions to keep their attention and keep them wanting to come to the table and connect with you. And the rest, it comes. <laughs> It does. Yes, it comes over time. And I think one of the important things that you just mentioned is, again, how much it's our parental energy, tension, stress about how it should be, how it's supposed to go, how, you know, and, and how that pretty much makes it worse most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the first things that we tell families is you have to let go of whatever your idea is of Perfect. Mm -hmm. If dinner is, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on a picnic blanket in the backyard, that's okay. We actually talked to one family and I think they're featured in the book. They had me laughing because they have, they have toddlers and they really want to have family dinner, but it was so messy and so loud and so chaotic. And they happen to live in a warmer climate. So they said, you know what? Finally, we decided family dinner is going to happen outdoors. It's going to happen at the picnic table 
And if it gets too much to clean up, there's always the hose. And I just thought that was just the greatest way to say, hey, you know what? It's not perfect, but this is how we gather and this is what works for us. Yes. And you just gave me an aha since I'm on memory lane here. Um, I'm transitioning from nightmare disaster meals to a, a happy memory. When our kids were young, we would say, hey, we're going to have a picnic in front of the fire. And it was always on a winter night. And we'd light the fire and we put out, we'd push back all of the furniture, we put down blankets, and we would have a picnic. And they loved it. And again, I'm thinking back, it's like our our idea of a family dinner was all sitting at the table in their seats. Again, that nostalgia, maybe how we had it. And it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. And I love that you did that. I love that tradition. I think it's things like that, that really help families connect. And, you know, families have to be realistic about where they are, where everybody is in terms of ages and stages. You know, we we talked to one family for the book who they have a, a young teenager and everybody's really busy and family dinner can be just hard to even schedule, right? Which is incredibly mm-hmm. common for families now. And one of the things that they realized was that, you know, once or twice a week, if they actually spent family dinner laughing and watching a favorite show together, that that was one form of connection that they could have with their reluctant teenager who wasn't into sitting and talking at the table. Now, I'm not for necessarily saying we should all watch TV every night or have devices at the table during dinner every night, but recognizing that that was one way that they could overcome challenges with connecting with their teen over a family meal helped open up some possibility for them. And then they could bring it to the table or bring it to another another point of connection and another venue that was more aligned with what they maybe were envisioning in the first place. Mm-hmm. And in your book, you talk about obstacles. And I, and I know we're going to hit on some of those obstacles. As you're talking, one of the obstacles is parent I'm going to call it parental rigidity about what it's supposed to be like and needing to open up a little bit. Yeah, you know, we all have to relax a little bit. Family dinner is not rocket science. It's, you know, I always say to people, look, you got to eat, right? And if you've got to eat, you might as well try to do it together. And all we all we ask families to really consider is to be intentional about how they're spending that time eating. It's not just about the food. In fact, the food, no matter how great it is, is probably the least important part of a family dinner. What is important is relaxing enough to enjoy a positive connection together. If, if you're sitting there trying to eat your dinner and somebody's nagging you about sitting up straight in your chair, having better table manners, what are you eating? Can you have one more bite? Don't poke your sister. What are you talking about? We want to talk about that. If there's like this kind of perfectionistic anxiety coming from the parents about, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's behaving and what they're doing, would you want to come back to that table? I no. wouldn't. No way. <laughs> So, you know, it is really important for parents to just take a deep breath and recognize that if they can let go of these notions about how everyone needs to show up and instead 
provide a positive connection with maybe some fun conversation starters that are not transactional, not this kind of, did you do your homework? How did the test go? How was soccer practice, right? But more interesting, open-ended questions Get the kids talking about creative things, about imagination, about thoughts and feelings. Get their opinions on things. Um, and I think you'll be surprised what develops. Yes. And um, so I'm going to admit where I blew it uh, last week during a good family dinner. Because um, this is, I think we all can learn from this because it was good intention. You know, when do you get everyone together in our busy life? Not that often to get the whole family together. So it happened to be that Everyone was together. We're having a dinner. There was nice chit chat going on with our three kids. Everyone was getting along. Everyone was relating. And I had been thinking over the last couple of days about something I wanted to share with them about the journeys that they've been going through and what I've learned from my journey. And, and I figured, okay, I've been thinking about this for two days. And I got serious. I mean, not overly serious, but just kind of wanted to talk about this. And it was like a showstopper. And after my wife looked mm. at me like, um, like she went along with it. But afterwards, she said, oh, you know, we we're in a good flow. I'm not sure that was the best time for that. And it was so obvious, but I was already, you know, like halfway across the street. So I had to keep going. <laughs> but I, so it's so again, I'm just, I'm just admit your point. It's making me reflect on our ideas about these meaningful family dinners, perhaps with really meaningful conversation, like if that's part of someone's perspective, that's not necessarily what it needs to be. And it could actually work in opposition to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, it absolutely can. And I, you know, I, I love how introspective you're being about this. Um, and it does sound like you had this amazing intention and you really wanted to share this deep observation with your kids. Um, and I bet they would have loved to hear that, but maybe not at that moment. And I think... No, not at that moment. <laughs> especially with older kids, often parents do make that mistake of thinking, my kids don't want to talk to me. They come to the table. They don't want to talk about anything. What am I doing wrong? But in fact, you know, the research is that teenagers overwhelmingly do enjoy family dinners and they do enjoy talking and spending time with their parents. They want that time, but they want it on their terms. You know, and we, we've talked to so many families, some of them are featured in the book, who have these experiences where, you know, the teens start to shut down and it turns out they're embarrassed by their parents trying to have this deep conversation with them in front of the whole family. Or they're feeling overwhelmed by having to try to keep up with this intellectual, meaningful discourse when they just want to relax and eat their meal and maybe talk about something that's not so dire. You know, it doesn't feel, they don't want to feel that the weight of the world is on their shoulders when they're just trying to eat their spaghetti, you know? Exactly. Okay. So I think we've just covered a major obstacle, which is us parents needing to take a deep breath and really focus on the atmosphere um, and it being a relaxing, comfortable atmosphere. Is a, it seems to Absolutely. be a key point. Okay. Now, talk to us about the other key obstacles that you have run across and have solutions for. Yeah. So the number one obstacle that we hear about from people is time. 
families now are so much more time pressured than they were when we were growing up. And, you know, I people ask me all the time, why is it that families aren't sitting down to dinner? Is it the disintegration of the modern family? And I'm like, no, nothing's disintegrating. It's just when we were kids, you know, you weren't allowed to have activities and sports practices and stuff over the dinner hour. There was like an unwritten rule that you just didn't have stuff after 6 p.m. Yeah. Um, That's not the case anymore. You know, and so families are just as wonderful and bonded and want to be as connected as always, but they don't have the time. Parents often are working more than one job, maybe. The kids have a multitude of things that they have to get to. Everybody's kind of trying to keep up with the rat race. And so trying to get to family dinner just feels like it's impossible. So some of the things that we learned from families that we've talked to and some of the things that we have put into practice ourselves in our own homes over the years are, you know, first of all, it doesn't even have to be dinner. And this blows people's minds. But really what it is, is coming together for food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. It doesn't have to be at a certain time of day. So if family breakfast works for you, if it's once a week Sunday dinner, if it's Friday night pizza night, or even just, you know, a snack after everybody finally gets home from all the evening commitments, you know, having maybe some fruit and cheese or hot chocolate and cookies together. And taking that time together to really experience each other's company, that's the most important thing. So So the family dinner, this is good news. The important research on the family dinner, which you're going to tell us a little bit because I think we all continue need to hear the good research on it. It's not necessarily about the quote dinner. It's about time together. Exactly. It's not necessarily about the dinner. It is, though, I think importantly, about those three ingredients, food, fun, and conversation. When you kind of take one or more more of those out of the equation, you don't get all of the benefits of family dinner or family meals, we should say, in one package, right? You can get some of them, but you can't get everything all together in the way that you can when you take the time to share some form of a meal or a snack together. Food, fun, and conversation. Those are the pillars right there. Absolutely. Okay. So I keep spouting out about the research. Please tell us, I mean, it's decades of research. And yes, this started back when there were the 60s and the 70s and the Brady Bunch era, but it continues. So tell us what are all the positive effects of family or family dinner or family eating time together? Yeah. So family meals have been shown time and again to have a number of protective benefits for kids and for adults. And some of the highlights are, you know, just from the health and nutrition side, kids who eat dinner with their families tend to uh, have healthier weights lifelong than kids who don't experience regular family meals. They eat more fruits and vegetables. They eat fewer trans fats, sugars, sodas, processed foods, the types of things that you would expect if you're going through maybe a drive-through or something like that. 
Um, they So they tend to develop lifelong healthier eating habits as well. In adulthood, the kids who ate dinner with their families go on to eat more healthfully as adults. So that's all, you know, really good news just from that food and nutrition standpoint. But the rest of it is probably the stuff that parents are even more interested in. And they might not necessarily think of when they're thinking of mealtimes. Family meals have a correlation with lower risk of anxiety and depression, lower risk of eating disorders in teens, lower risk behaviors, so fewer incidences of um, drug and alcohol use or promiscuity. They tend to produce kids who are more resilient. They bounce back more quickly from bullying than other kids who don't have family meal times. And they also have academic benefits. Kids who eat dinner with their families tend to have higher grades, but also kids who eat dinner with their families when they're really little tend to have bigger vocabularies and better pre-reading skills. So they have better early literacy, even than kids whose parents don't eat dinner with them, but are reading to them. Now, reading to your kids is a great thing to do, and we encourage it, but read to them and eat with them because the kinds of conversations that you have at the table actually confer more new words on them and help them to learn vocabulary and absorb sequencing and storytelling skills even more quickly. So it's all around just kind of a powerhouse in every every area that parents are really concerned about. You know, that's that's overwhelming data. Um, it, it's and and you know, it's what it's reminding me of is a recent podcast on sleep. And there's what I'm thinking about because it's what you just said is very similar to what Dr. Crabtree said about the importance for kids and teens and us adults to get sleep. And it's like, wow, if we're eating healthy with our kids and getting sleep. It's almost like we've got eighty percent of life like solid right there. I mean, it, I mean <laughs> it's it's the it's the basics that go so far for development and health. Absolutely, and you know, one of our co-founders, Dr. Ann Fischel, is a family therapist, and she always jokes that if her clients would just have family dinners together, she'd probably eventually go out of business, right? <laughs> because all these all these basic life things that were, they used to be old folk wisdom, right? Like you put the kids to bed at a certain time. Kids need a certain amount of sleep. You have a schedule, you have a routine, you stick to it, you eat together. All these things that like our grandmothers knew, we now realize were not just things grandma did and she was smart about, but they actually do have these incredibly protective benefits. So yeah, sleep, eat, you're good. Wow. Okay. Sleep, eat people. And remember, I'm going to keep repeating the three things, food, fun, and conversation are the cornerstone. Okay. So now we also happen to have three picky eaters. So I really like that you're going to talk to people. We could have used this information years ago. So please help (laughs) all the parents about what are the solutions to the obstacle of picky eating? 
Well, part of it, I should point out, part of it is time, right? Picky eating is is a normal developmental stage for young children, and it's it certainly tests people's patience. But it is the type of thing that eventually can get better with time. Um, but if there are things that you want to try in the meantime, some of the things we recommend are, uh, for example, build your own meals. And this means stop being a short order cook, make meals that have component parts that can be separated. Things like taco bars, make your own English muffin pizzas. Um, we have a bunch of ideas in the book for these, you know, at-home salad bar, stuff that really doesn't require any more work on the cook's part, but allows the kids to be exposed to that wide variety of foods and yet choose which ones are going to go on their plate. The more they see other people in their lives eating and modeling enjoyment of the ones they didn't choose, the more likely they are that eventually they're going to choose those foods in the future. But in the meantime, they've got what they like on their plate, you've got what you like on your plate, and nobody had to fight about it. That's kind of, you know, ground zero for us. Don't make food a battleground, but continue to offer those healthy choices in a way that doesn't put pressure on the kids. Um, other things that you can try, we have, you know, the story of one family in the book who said, okay, everybody gets to pick one no-go food. We will never ask you to eat that one food, but you can try other things that we serve. And that worked really well for them. Um, another family that we talked to does the always serve a preferred food. So they might pair a new choice with something familiar like bread or fruit or cheese that they know the kids are going to eat. And when the kids see those foods kind of served together, they start to understand that there might be room in their diet for all of these things. And they feel like, hey, at least there's something I can eat, so I'm not going to starve. Um, so, you know, it's really about giving kids a little bit more control over mm -hmm. what they choose to eat, which is hard for us as parents because we're like, oh, you have to, they, they have to eat healthy and we have to you know, have kids who eat curry at age four or we've somehow morally failed. No, it's okay. Take a step back and just continue to provide those healthy choices in creative ways that let the kids make their own decisions. You know, I give kids control, uh, really important because it seems like a lot of parents feel they need to be in control lest their kids will never learn responsibility, respect, name it. And yet, we're trying to help our kids leave the house with being able to manage and control their own lives. And so it's really important that this point that you're making is in so many things, I think we have to take a step back and say, can I let my child have control over this aspect of their life? Because none of us certainly like to be controlled by anybody else. And I think we forget that as we get older. Right. And it's such a simple concept. And it extends to almost all corners of the family dinner, right? If you let the kids participate, if you let them choose some of the menus, if you let them learn to make some of the food with you, if you let them choose the music you listen to at the table or the topics of conversation for that evening, 
they're going to be so much more willing and so much more participatory in this family event than they will be if you try to dictate every moment of that interaction. And that's where those positive benefits come from. None of those great benefits we talked about are going to happen if the dinner table feels stressful and anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. Tell us, uh, so you t- there's busyness. So there's, of course, busyness is number one. And I think everyone who's listening can relate to that and lack of time and time pressure. What? How about for the families that um, are in shift work and have, you know, graveyard or night shift and, you know, tag teaming parenting and there's just less opportunity to all sit down together. What, how, what guidance do you have for those families? Yes, yeah, so common. And the good news is that, you know, while it is absolutely the goal to have some family meal times where everyone is present, obviously we would all want that. You don't have to all be there all at the same time to have it be a meaningful family meal. So some families do embrace what we call the split shift dinner, uh, where you say, okay, mom is working tonight, but dad's going to be home with one of the kids at five o'clock and they're going to be able to eat. And then another kid is going to be home later and maybe dad can sit down and have dessert with that child while that child eats. And you sort of make family pods. The biggest thing is no one should eat alone. And we, we talked to a family in Washington who they have five boys spanning the whole range of ages and they can never all sit down together. It's just really difficult for them, but they have this household rule. No one eats alone. And even if it means that the youngest kid in the house eats early with someone and then comes and joins the rest of the family later on to sit at the table and have that conversation and connection, that's okay. It's what works. You know, other things you can do, uh, you can sometimes, depending on the nature of why there's some distance and some scheduling conflict there, you can Skype somebody into the family dinner table. We learned this military families who had, you know, mom or dad was deployed and wasn't home for dinner for months and months at a time. They would set up a time once or twice a week to Skype or FaceTime during dinner And that absent family member could at least take part in the fun and conversation at the table and not feel left out. So there are definitely ways that you can continue to have the food, fun, and conversation without necessarily all being in the same place at the same time. That is really important. And I love those creative ideas about just sitting together, even if you've already eaten, and especially video conferencing in when you're in other places. And for parents who have so much travel as well, um, or mil- active military, that's that's wonderful that that's a possibility these days. Yeah, it's one of the ways in which, you know, technology at the table can actually be helpful rather than... Oh, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay, Brie, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. I know it came up fast, as it always does. Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as a parent or as an individual, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. 
Yeah, you know, this question is uh, incredibly thought-provoking, Dr. Dan, and <laughs> I had to really, I, I, I'm having to really kind of think about it. It's it's a very introspective question, but I, I think back to a time when my oldest son was about two and a half or three years old, and his brother was a baby. There was a lot going on in our lives at that time that wasn't all positive, and I thought that I was doing a really good job holding things together. Hey, we're still having dinner. We're still doing all these things. And we're, we seem like a, a really with it family. And I thought I was masking all of my feelings really well. And then one day I, I was sitting on the couch, not doing anything in particular. And my little two and a half year old came over and he put his hands on my knees and he studied my face for a minute. And he said, mommy, it's okay. You can be happy. And I went, oh my gosh. Wow. Um, <laughs> thinking that I'm projecting that everything's fine. And my two and a half year old is able to look at me and say, everything is not fine. And it forced me to examine what were we doing in our household? What choices were we making as parents that were that could be changed to make things more positive and help us all feel better? about everything that was going on that we couldn't change. That is a great story. Um, a wonderful insight. And it just shows, boy, do you have uh, an in-tune empathic child. Um, and it really shows us that our kids do pick up on everything energetically, emotionally, behaviorally, even at a young age and how important it is for us to for them, right? For us, but for them to to be aware of how we are living our life and what choices we can make that will improve everyone's situation. Absolutely. And I will say, he's he's now 13 years old and he is still very, very empathic and he always knows what's up with me. Awesome. Bree, thank you for sharing your wisdom tell everyone where they can find more information about your book, your the project, and everything else that you're doing. Yeah, so you can find us, The Family Dinner Project, online. We are at thefamilydinnerproject.org. We are also on Facebook, The Family Dinner Project, Twitter, FDP Tweets. Uh, we are on Instagram, The Family Dinner Project, and Pinterest, uh, and also, you can find the book, Eat, Laugh, Talk, The Family Dinner Playbook, at Familius Publishing, IndieBound, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. You can't miss it, people. Get this information, right? I mean, this is such valuable information that I just think people eat, take for granted or don't give enough in our busy lives, this is it's so important for us to stop and figure out these times that we can do food, have fun, have conversation and connect with our kids and how important it is for so many indicators of health and well-being, as you've described. All right, everybody. This concludes another show. Eat, Laugh, Talk, The Family Dinner Playbook with Bree DeRosa. Go check out this valuable information. 
Follow us at www.parentfootprint.com where you can find our Parent Footprint Awareness Training designed to help you become an aware or more aware and intentional parent. Be the person you want your child to become. They are always watching and listening and absorbing. And ask yourself that key question I ask myself daily. What footprint is do you want to leave?